Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where we hide buried in the minutiae of Mad Max 2 the Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick and I'm Julia and today we're talking about minute 11 which begins with Max approaching a seemingly abandoned gyrocopter and it ends with Max held hostage by the gyro captain. Happy Monday. Good Monday morning Julia. We're kicking off this week with Max in a dried riverbed clearing approaching an abandoned well seemingly abandoned gyrocopter, like I said. And we're kind of getting a extended look at the features of this machine. And one thing that we didn't really get a good look at last week that we're kind of getting a good angle on now is the fact that those tail fins on the gyrocopter are covered with pictures. Now, these aren't spray painted on or, you know, hand drawn or anything. They seem to be like clipped out of magazines, specifically like men's magazines. Ah, yeah. okay. I see what you mean. The entry on MadMaxMovies.com talks about how they were of a certain lewd caliber, I should say. Mm-hmm. One of the pictures specifically listed was of Karen Price, who was a model featured as Miss January 1981. And you kind of see it at a distance, but it is her splayed out in oh. her full glory. Wow, yeah. You know. I Okay, I never noticed that before because I was, like, a- attracted to looking at the propeller that's painted, like, yellow and blues and reds. Mm -hmm. So I was distracted by that, and now I'm I'm looking at it now, and yeah. That's like like centerfold. Yeah. It's it's big. It's the kind of thing that, you know, you cut it out of the magazine, and it's sizable, and he pasted it onto the tail fin of his gyrocopter. I think it makes sense. Uh, You know, post-apocalyptic, you're you're making do with what you've got. (laughs) And this gyrocopter, as we as we get to know him, the the captain and the gyrocopter, this is pretty much his home. Is where the gyrocopter. It's like Max in his car. Exactly. And he doesn't even have like a private interior space Mm -mm. like Max does. So if he wants to have anything around that he enjoys, he's got very limited places that he could put it. It kind of reminds me of those pictures that you'll see of, like, bombers during World War One and World War Two, and they would paint the pinups on the side of the bombers yeah, and whatnot. And he's kind of done something very similar to that, except, you know, like I said, a bit more explicit. Uh-huh. They never zoom right in and focus on the images. I mean... MadMaxMovies.com was kind enough to provide an actual link that you could click on that will show you a full-size JPEG of yeah, Miss January actual. 1981. And yeah, it's it's pretty explicit. It's a risky click. Don't, don't click on it if you're at work. Someone might frown on that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but as Max draws closer to the gyrocopter, he kind of slows down and then he kind of picks up his hand. And we don't really get a sense of why he's doing that until the next shot and we can see that there's a snake sitting on top of the engine of the gyrocopter kind of wrapped around the mast 
Yeah, I really appreciate that they didn't do like a jump scare type situation where he thinks he's getting away with it. And then, oh my gosh, there's a snake. Um, He saw the snake right away. Yep. He Be- immediately just started dealing with the snake before he even, you know, thought about the gas tank. Mm. And we mentioned this on Friday. Max is in, this is clearly a trap I must act cautiously mode. And so seeing the snake, he immediately picks up on it. Oh, hey, this is dangerous. So going back to my favorite resource, the trivia page for Mad Max to the Road Warrior, they say that the snake that Max is looking at right now is a common bull snake about as poisonous as a guppy. Now, it's true. Bull snakes are not poisonous or venomous or whatever you want to say it. I think if you get poisoned as you eat it, it's poisonous. If it injects poison, then it is venomous. I think that's the rule of thumb. Yeah, that sounds right. So bull snakes are actually native to, you know, areas like the central United States, central and northern Mexico, Saskatchewan, Alberta, desert regions of British Columbia, Canada. The bull snake is a North American snake. And as I was looking up information about that, I was like, well, that doesn't seem right. Why would they have a bull snake if it's being filmed and sourced from Australia? Right. It's not like they don't have their own native snakes. Exactly. Now, just as a quick note about the bull snake, they mentioned on Mad Max movies that it's non-venomous. Well, that's very true. Bull snakes are constrictors. They'll eat things like small mammals such as mice, voles, rats, pocket gophers, ground squirrels, rabbits, as well as like grounding nesting birds, eggs, and lizards, things like that. So not content with thinking that it was a bull snake, I went on to a different website called CaliforniaHerps.com, which is not a West Coast herpes support group. Mm-hmm. It's California Herps, short for California Herpetologists, which oh. is the study of snakes and reptiles. Okay. So that might have been unfortunate website naming on their part. I would more blame Perhaps. the scientist that called the study of snakes herpetology than <laughs> but then again how could they have known that herp would have also been herpes it, it doesn't matter that's it's 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 a tangent that we don't need to worry about no so they have californiaherps.com a page about snakes in film as a way to help people identify these snakes that they see and on the page for mad max to the road warrior they identify that the snake on the flying machine is actually a carpet python. So the carpet python is actually found throughout mainland Australia. Uh, It usually shies away from the arid center of the continent and sticks more to like the western regions. It's widely distributed throughout the forest regions of southwest Australia and can also be found in Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, and on the Yule Islands. Carpet pythons are very similar to the bull snake in that they are constrictors, so they eat a lot of small mammals, birds, and lizards, just like their cousin there, but it's not quite the same. It's a slightly different, actually native species. Right, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The interesting thing that they mention is that while carpet pythons are mostly harmless, they are actually very quick when they strike. The thing about constrictors is obviously they capture and crush their prey, but they need to be very quick when it comes to lashing out and grabbing their prey. And so when Max 
acts very quickly to grab this thing, you know, he's got to be quick because they are naturally fast. Do you think Max as a character knew what kind of snake this was? Like knew that it wasn't venomous, knew that it was particularly fast, do you think? No. No? No, that's not common knowledge that I think everybody just natively knows. I don't think well, someone think like Max would say if you, no if you all survive the in the wasteland, you also have to survive against all of the animals that in defending themselves will kill you. I guess. I feel like if he knew for a fact that the carpet python was non-venomous, he probably wouldn't have, you know, held up his hand and grabbed it around the, the neck. I think he probably would have just picked it up and moved it, mm. you know. Good point. So what he does specifically, I mentioned that he snatches it. What he does is as he's lifted up his hand, he starts putting his hand kind of in the, the shape of a snake's head and he holds it up and he kind of hisses at it. What he's trying to do is he's trying to make the snake think that his hand is another larger rival snake. And as he's hissing, the snake actually looks up at Max's hand like it falls for the ruse. So as the snake looks at him, Max throws his hand forward and he grabs the snake around its neck. And I know that snakes don't necessarily have shoulders right, to identify kind of their vague, neck. Vague, but, but, you know, behind their head. He grabs it, yeah, below the head. Which, according to lots of the snake handling websites that I was looking at, mm -hmm. and there were several, that's not really the best place to grab a snake because... You know, snakes are cylindrical. Like, when you really break it down, they're cylinders. They're also very flexible. And even if you grab a snake behind the head and you've got it just in your fist and you don't have your thumb pressing down on their head, they can kind of wriggle their bodies around and they, they will bite you. Even if they can only get, like, half of their jaw around a finger or a thumb. Right, they're going to try because now you're holding onto them and they are in defensive mode. Exactly. I saw one gentleman, and I didn't copy down the URL, which is a failing on my part, I know, but it was a bit of a picture story of him grabbing this snake and it biting him, and then him like, okay, well, I'm going to loosen my grip and maybe the snake will lose interest. No, the snake didn't lose interest. It actually repositioned itself to just clamp better onto his thumb, and so then he put it down on the ground, and, it, and he had a picture of him just... With his hand on the ground, with the snake still attached to his thumb. And the snake is on the ground. The snake could leave any time. Right. But he, the snake wanted to make sure that this guy knew he was very displeased with the situation. <laughs> but in the instance that Max grabs the snake, there's nothing that he really has to worry about because the snake that he's grabbing is rubber. <laughs> right. Like when you slow it down like I can do, frame by frame, yeah, the snake that he's grabbing, it's got a much different head shape. Its mouth is permanently open. It's got these bright white fangs. And it's like, that's not the same snake at all. But it works for when you have a close-up grab shot. And as he pulls the snake away from the gyro in the next shot, you can see that he's got it around, like I said, the neck, and it's actually started to wrap itself around his arm because it's a constrictor. So if he's going to hold on to this snake, its natural response is, okay, well, this thing that has me, I'm going to try and kill it. And how do I kill things? I constrict them. Yeah. I have a question about the snake. Um, in a few seconds, he's going to drop the snake on the ground and we get a pretty good look at it slithering away. Looks like a different snake in size. Like, I'm not looking at, like color and patterns and stuff um it looks like a much smaller snake mm -hmm. do you do you think it's do you think they use more than one snake or do you think it's just a perspective 
I think it's a perspective thing. Okay. You didn't feel like it was a different snake? No. Okay. The carpet python is a very common pet snake. It's a snake that you will find in a lot of reptile shops, really, because they're very easy to train to acclimate to a new environment. Mm. They're not overly aggressive. Like they can they can posture and they can appear aggressive, but they're not going to be near as, you know, threatening as other types of snakes that you could possibly get your hands on. So so as I was looking at these snake handling websites, there is a recommended way to hold your snake. Like if you have a pet snake in your home, the recommended way to hold it is you hold it about a third of the way down from its head. That way it has plenty of ability to move its head around and look around the room and then you have your other hand supporting right around the rear quarter of the snake and so that way the entire body of the snake is supported and it still has a bit of ability to to move around and it's a good way to not hurt the snake at all you don't want to grab too close to the tail because then you might put too much pressure on it. it's they're delicate creatures as rough and strong as they can be. They're like muscle tubes. Yeah, because uh, this this might be a silly question. Do snakes have bones, right? They have like a, like a central mm-hmm. skeletal system. Yep. Snakes are vertebrates, so they have a spine that runs down their entire body. They Surrounded have by lots and lots of muscles. A lot of ribs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you really need to be careful with as far as snakes are concerned, is you don't want to, like, crush their ribs. Obviously, because their ribs are curved, they have a lot of natural strength to them, naturally forming, like, a circle. Yeah. But, you know, they're still not connected at the bottom, so it allows them to scuttle and twist and whatnot. Yeah, be flexible. Like, you don't want to necessarily crush your pet snake's rib cage. That would be really bad for that them. That would be bad. <laughs> and, you know, aside from hurting another living being, you'd also incur all the vet bills and possibly having to replace your snake. But let's focus more on not hurting another living being as opposed to having to pay out for doing something dumb. Okay. So Max is holding on to this snake, and out of nowhere, seemingly... Yeah, I, I watch this moment, like, over and over again to just kind of see what's going on. And it's just kind of unbelievable. So the gyro captain pops up out of the ground yep he is someone that we have not seen before we were unaware that he was even in the area and as soon as max has that snake in his hands up from the ground after being buried in seemingly maybe like not even an inch of dirt just pops up out of the ground with a crossbow of all things and there's a split moment i wouldn't even call it a split second it's probably like even a frame or two before he actually gets out of the dirt and you can see this ridiculous looking yellow straw sticking up out of the dirt and if you know that he's coming out of the dirt you can look at the yellow straw and you say oh yeah where there he is and i don't remember seeing any yellow straws sticking up out of the ground when we were looking at this scene on friday no um no i kind of want to go back and look for it because I knew, you know, when we were talking about it, I knew he was under the sand because I've seen the movie. Yeah. Um, I didn't really recall about specifically about the yellow straw. So I wasn't looking in that wide shot that we got for a yellow straw. Mm-hmm. One reason he's using a yellow straw is it's more difficult to see against this light brown dirt sand. So I'm going to, as we continue to talk, um, see if I can find it. Because I want to see it. I say good luck because I did a lot you, of looking. Yeah, you, and you I didn't frame see by it frame at all. And, and stuff. So one thing about his presence under the sand that I would like to point out. In that overhead shot, we see footprints 
heading like on to the opposite side out to the wasteland. Yep. Like as a decoy. Oh yeah. From Max's point of view, he couldn't really see those footprints. Yeah, those footprints you can kind of see them look if you look over the gyrocopter yeah. behind it. It's something that if Max had if crossed he, around yeah, to the other side of the gyrocopter, he would have seen looking for clues, he would have seen the footprints. Yeah. Now, um, I know how the gyro captain put the footprints there going one way. He just walked back in the same footprints. But how did he get himself buried under the ground without it being obvious that he had buried himself under the ground? Like yeah. the disturbance of sand. I, I have a lot a, of problems with that. <laughs> that's a feat. Um, I want to talk about that in a moment because as Max spins around to face this figure that has popped out of the sand... We get our first good look of our gyro captain for this movie, who is played by Bruce Spence. I kind of want to talk about Bruce Spence, the actor, before we go into and complaining about him and his soul <laughs> in the ground. <laughs> okay. So, my notes say that the snake is by far the least dangerous living thing in this minute, because you've got Max and the gyro captain here, and his first words of the movie are, Don't hurt the snake. Put it down gently. So, Bruce Spence, been acting since about 1970. He's a big guy. He's huge in Australia, although technically he's huge everywhere because he is six foot seven. He is in the Guinness Book of World Records, timed with James Arness, who lived from 1923 to 2011, as the tallest actor to play a leading role. Oh, yeah, didn't know that was a category. So his top four on IMDb include his role here in The Road Warrior. His number two is Finding Nemo in 2003. He was Chum, one of the sharks. You remember how you had the three sharks, the big one, the hammerhead, and then the skinnier one with the sharp teeth? Yes. He was the skinnier one with the sharp teeth. Ah. In the fish support group, he was the one that was having the most trouble with not eating fish. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And his name was Chum. His number three role is from Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith in 2005, where he played Tion Maiden, who is a diplomat on the planet... Utapau, and he is the official that meets Obi-Wan Kenobi as Obi-Wan lands on Utapau. He's looking for General Grievous, and Tion Medon approaches and, you know, greets him, and then he's also the one that kind of leans in and be like, hey, I know where all the Separatists are. They're over here. You should take care of them. And Obi-Wan's like, thanks, buddy, and he goes off to... So he's a good guy? Yeah. He's a local bureaucrat or aristocrat or some sort of crat that's just being put upon by the Separatists. Uh... He doesn't want to support them. It's just, you know, they've got... A huge army that are holding him hostage. Uh, So I'm not really familiar with that particular Star Wars movie um, or that character or that scene. Is he like all covered up in alien makeup of whatever sort? Okay, so you wouldn't be able to like see his face as his face. Yeah. Now, Bruce Spence has a very tall, narrow face. It's one of those faces where even when he's wearing all the makeup, you can kind of tell it's him. Oh, okay. It's so one of those things so where you've got to... covered up in makeup that he's a completely different person. Right. It's one of those things he's... where you actually need to go back and watch the scene. Yeah, he's like an alienized version of Bruce Spence. Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. And then his number four in his top four on IMDb is, of course, his role as he comes back from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, where he plays a completely different character, which is 
It's a weird thing how they do that. He comes back in Beyond Thunderdome as Jedediah the pilot. Jedediah the pilot is not the same person as the gyro captain. They're both pilots. They both operate flying machines. As far as a timeline concerned, they very much could be the same person, but they're not. Okay. And it's strange. And I feel like there are a lot of people that want to try and explain why they're the same person or yeah, something like that. Same thing with Toe Cutter and, and Morton Joe. Yeah. People want to create a mythology where they're the same person. It's one of those things where it's another support for campfire theory, you know? Yes. The faces may seem familiar, but the stories are just different. One cool thing about Bruce Spence is that he has played in the third installment of five major film franchises. (laughs) Obviously, he's in Thunderdome, which is the third movie in the Mad Max trilogy Mm -hmm. that is now a quadrilogy. He was in the third Matrix movie, The Matrix Revolutions. I never actually saw The Matrix Revolutions. I never sat down and watched it. But he plays a character called Train Man. Oh, he's not a pilot? Nope. He is kind of a large hobo-looking sort of guy, and he operates inside The Matrix as a train man. It's it's something that you don't necessarily understand watching clips on YouTube. It's one of those things right. where I feel like I'd have to sit down and actually watch it, the movie. Yeah, it really needs context. But he gets a cool scene where he's chased by Trinity and Morpheus and that other guy who I can't remember because I never watched those movies. And then he also gets to tell off Keanu Reeves and punch him into a wall. So that's kind of cool. So he's a bad guy. I think he's more of a neutral neutral character that Neo runs afoul of. Ah, maybe a chaotic neutral. Yeah, that type of thing, maybe. Like I said, I wouldn't know. I never actually watched The Matrix Revolutions. In yeah, it's not the end. Didn't really understand it because I was missing the context of like, all the other movies. <laughs> Yeah. So aside from the Matrix Revolutions, he was also in the third Lord of the Rings movie, The Return of the King, albeit in a deleted scene. The deleted scene I'm talking about is the Mouth of Sauron scene, which I think has been added back in for the extended edition, where Aragorn and the combined army of Rohan and Gondor approach the Black Gates, they open, and then outrides the mouth of Sauron. And even though he's wearing this giant helmet and his mouth has been digitally altered to look larger, it's Bruce Spence under there. That's a deleted scene? Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure I've seen that scene. Yeah. Well, uh, the DVD that we own is the extended edition. Oh, okay. I I never saw it in the theaters. I didn't come into my nerdness until like mid 20s, which was past Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So after Lord of the Rings, there's the obviously third Star Wars movie, episode three, which technically it's the sixth Star Wars movie, but if we're going by number, it's, It's you know, it's episode three. And then the last of the five in this list, he was in the Chronicles of Narnia, the voyage of the Dawn Treader, where he played a character called Lord Roop. Okay. I'm ashamed to admit that I haven't seen it, even though I love the Narnia books. Really? I'm I pretty sure I remember you watching not Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Really? Which is super surprising because it's one of my favorite books out of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's just a it's a delightful story. Okay. With uh, a really like mysterious, maybe creepy, ethereal ending. I mean, there's a lot of good parts of the Dawn Treader that I've seen. I mean, there's the fact that Peter Dinklage is in the movie. Oh, There's a dragon with a really bratty kid. You know, I remember... Okay, maybe I have seen it. Yeah. Because I remember... Uh, Eustace Stubbs, the whole his whole story arc, where you like couldn't wait 
for him to be punished. Yeah. And was so happy Kid was when an he a-hole. was punished. He was just the biggest A. So, okay, maybe I have seen it. Well, so obviously I need to see it again. Yeah. The clip that I found of Bruce Spence in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, like you can tell it's him. He's mm-hmm. also like very haggard. I think he just does he, he does hobos well. <laughs> is he one of the old kings at the table? I don't know. I don't know the context. Oh, what was this character's name again? Lord Roop. R-H-O-O-P. I think he was one of the kings or lords at the table, which means he would have been haggard. Okay. Yeah, like I said, I had no context for it. Lord Roop. Yeah. One movie that I've never seen and I really don't care to see, he was one of the poachers in, I think it was the second Ace Ventura movie. Oh. I find the Ace Ventura series to be very grating. I have never seen it and it's not, it, it, it's not my style of comedy. Yeah, it's, it's not on my to watch list. Yeah. I watched a People... quick scene and it's just that brand of comedy. I find it very frustrating to watch and very annoying to listen to. Yeah. I, people love it. People who, you know, love that kind of comedy, it's perfect. But it's just not my kind of comedy. Yeah, Jim, Jim Carrey in that era is just not my cup of tea. Yep. <laughs> so, getting back to the minute. Max is looking at Bruce Spence. He's popped out of the ground and he's got a crossbow pointed straight at Max. And he has instructed him to put down the snake. And so, Max puts down, puts the, down snake. the snake. Gently. <laughs> I love, love, love that the gyro captain's first concern was the snake. Well, he trained it. Yeah, you know, it's one of like his pets. His, yeah, it's his beloved pet. And it's almost like he popped up to more to defend the snake than to capture and pillage from Max himself. I think it kills two birds. Yes. But yeah, I, I just love this this affection and defensiveness that he shows for this animal. It's great. <laughs> so as he pops up out of the ground, I think this is the perfect time for us to call shenanigans on this instance. And I'm going to say right now, yes, movie magic is a thing. Suspension of disbelief is a thing. <laughs> and obviously you're not going to have a gigantic coal for your actors to dance around and not step into. But Bruce Spence is six foot seven inches and he was buried underneath the dirt. And the only thing left behind is a tiny divot that he can just kind of step in and out of willy nilly. That's kind of ridiculous. It. Mm, yeah. I'm not saying it diminishes the quality of the film. This is not a criticism no, of the quality of the movie. No, it doesn't diminish the quality of the scene or the moment or anything. But the energy that he would have needed to expend to actually dig a hole, like a real hole that mm-hmm. was big enough for him to lie down in, to be covered, and with no trace, no bump or anything, completely hidden, it's a lot of energy to yeah. expend. I love the reveal. I love the fact that we go from not being able to see him at all to him popping up out of the ground. It's a great reveal. I really enjoy seeing it. But when you talk about how practical it is, it's not very practical. It would have been better for him to, like, hollow out a log. Right. There are trees all over the place. Or hide in a bush. Yeah, there's I mean, like, I think something. there's like kind of um probably like the, the edge of the creek bed, not mm-hmm. far away. It's like, hide behind that. Yeah. You have a crossbow. You don't need to be, like, right on top of him. What would have been really yeah. interesting to see, and this is kind of my alternate take, is had the gyro captain been hiding in the bushes, Max 
sees the gyrocopter. He gets out of his car, starts walking across this clearing. He sees the snake and he puts his hand up and he starts hissing at it. And if the gyro, if the gyro captain had been hiding in the bushes, as Max is raising up his hand and starting to hiss at the snake, maybe an alternative reveal was all of a sudden a crossbow bolt fires out of nowhere and sticks into the mast of the gyrocopter. And that's kind of the reveal of, oh no, there's someone else here. And so then we see Bruce Spence get up out of the bushes, reloading his crossbow really quick. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have been a different way to reveal it. I'm not saying it would have been better. I'm just saying it would have been less effort in-universe. Like, not talking in production. I'm like, in-universe, conservation of energy, doing activities. Yes. Hiding in the bushes would have been easier for him. Yes. But you gotta... I, I do recognize that this is a way of life for these people. Right. What else are they gonna do? This plan has obviously worked before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe he's tried a variety of things. And maybe he has a variety of tactics. And maybe the ground was loose enough. He's like, you know what? I can do this one today. This is a great <laughs> spot for the hide under the sand plan. Yeah. I gotta say, he survived this long somehow. Yep. So, like I said, I love this thing. It's just the fact <laughs> that the hole is so shallow. I just can't get over it. He is pretty skinny. Like, That's... he's long. He's very long. But he is... We can, he's wearing these, um, like, yellow leggings. Yep. Very form-fitting. Mm -hmm. And I think it's tomorrow's minute where we get some good views of his legs. And boy, are they skinny. Yep. He's a very lanky individual. Yes. So, with Max held at crossbow bolt point. I'm, I've got to use a different phrase here. With the gyro captain holding Max hostage, for lack of a better term, he begins by instructing Max to drop all of his weapons. So he put the snake down. Well, now it's time for Max to put down his crowbar, drop his gun on the ground, and he does a really good job of, you know, making sure that Max drops all of the weapons that are obvious. But there's one thing that the Mad Max movies goofs page pointed out, specifically the way that the gyro captain holds his crossbow. He has such large hands that sometimes his fingers wrap up and extend over the top of the crossbow stock, which means that if he had actually fired that crossbow, the string, or more likely steel wire that is the crossbow string, would have pushed the arrow forward, slid across the stock, and it would have... Like sliced, sliced off his fingers? Yeah. Oh, It no. would have hurt a lot. No. So you've got to be careful when you're operating a crossbow that you don't put your hand in the path of the bowstring. Because that is a dangerous thing and you want to avoid it at all costs. And it's one of those things where he's just caught up in the moment. And I think he's just really excited that he's caught someone. Oh, he is so excited. He is delightfully excited. He's practically dancing with excitement. Yes, I love it. I love his reaction, and it, it does make me wonder if he's on something. <laughs> I think he's, like, giggling and dancing, like, shaking his legs around. I think he's high on adrenaline. He's been sitting there under the sand for so long, and now that he's hopped up out of that, you know, he's gone into a, not necessarily fight-or-flight standpoint, but, you know, he's got to be on edge because right. he's caught someone. And so I feel like the dancing might be him just trying to shake the sand out of his outfit. Yeah, and we don't know how long he was under there. He's probably getting pretty stiff. So he's like, yeah, he's stretching out, he's moving his muscles. He's just really happy while he's doing it. Yeah, and, and it looks very comical. Yes, it does. 
Especially so, his shoes are pink. Are his shoes pink? I think so. I okay. think he's got pink shoes and, and yellow, leggings. yellow leggings. He's got some sort of like um, crotch plate that he's wearing. Yep. Okay, his shoes. I um, They look like Chuck's. Oh, yeah? Like with a pink body with the white toe. I thought they kind of looked like um, like slip-ons. What are those lady shoes that are that look very much like that? Mary Beth's, Mary Sue's. Mary Jane's. Mary Jane's. That's what they kind of look like to me. Yeah. I slowed it down as much as I could. I don't have frame by frame like you do. But it, it looks like there's something tied over the toes. Mm-hmm. Like more maybe like they're makeshift shoes. Yeah. Like they're not really shoes. <laughs> or they he's were just, shoes at some point. Yeah. Now they... He's just made do. Which, oh, okay. Okay. So the shoes are pink. Uh-huh. And being such a tall man, he probably has very large shoe size, which when you're scavenging can be hard to find. Right. You don't find a lot of cobblers out in the wasteland. Right. And remember, Johnny was stealing the boots of that other guy, and that wasn't even, like, that was prior to the formal downfall of society. And right. And he was stealing those guys' boots. So this guy, the captain, probably stole whatever shoes he could find, which was probably off a woman, considering that they're pink, and he had to cut the front, like, off or cut the front open. And, like, extend the shoe artificially. And, like, extend the shoe (laughs) to fit him. Oh, that's cool. I I, I like that idea. So, as he's dancing around and shaking off the dirt, he's got his crossbow pointed at Max, and he's kind of brushing dirt off his face, and I think he's got, like, some... He's got some (laughs) plugs that he's pulling out of his nose, but he's got his crossbow pointed at Max, and he says, ah, looks like I got myself some gasoline, eh? Eh? And that's how we end our minute. And that's how we end the minute. So, we're gonna... See what Max has to say about this situation tomorrow. We'll get his response and we'll kind of take a bit of a walk from the gyrocopter over to the black on black and we'll continue this little uh, exchange between the two of them. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 11 of The Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.